I am Solis Veritas, and this is the Defending American Exceptionalism podcast. It appears many Americans have forgotten what makes America exceptional. This podcast is here to remind them. The greatest country on earth has been so successful that it may now be suffering from that very success. The lack of any real suffering in recent decades has made it all too easy for people to criticize and malign the greatest country ever to have been established by man, while sitting comfortably in their centrally heated homes, watching big screen TVs, interacting with their fellow men primarily through social media, and experiencing life events via virtual reality video games. This podcast is meant to serve as a reminder and tutorial on the unique and special form of government our founders created, and to explain the real history, purpose, and structure of America. It hopes to offer a counter to the falsities gaining popularity in the past 20 years, probably even longer, that America is no better than any other country, no different, and no more honorable. Indeed, the very qualities of our country and her people that make it greater under attack in a way that threatens the very foundation on which it balances. Keyboard warriors, echo chambers, and virtue signaling with no substance are all the means by which individuals hide from any thoughtful discourse with their neighbors and make nearly impossible any honest, intellectual discussion of the issues of the day. If you'd like to engage in those types of discussions, stay tuned. This episode is being recorded on November 1st, 2022. Episode 80, Democracy Under Attack, Fact or Fiction. The phrase threat to democracy has clearly been adopted as a talking point, first adopted by the left and now used also by the right occasionally to point out things the other party or its supporters do that is viewed in some way as extreme or counter to a free society. Nearly every day, there is a new topic that is declared a threat to democracy. So what are some of these threats? Let's start with the common claims of the Democrats, as it is that party that first tried to paint its political opposition as such a threat and continues to do so. A great article on thefederalist.com listed some of the most common claims coming from the left about what poses threats to democracy. I'll go through some of those assertions, not necessarily in the order of the article from October 27th, entitled, Here is Everything Democrats Claim is a Threat to Democracy. First, it's Republicans in general. From President Biden himself, we are asked to believe it is Republicans, not just Republican officeholders, but simply everyday voters who align themselves with the grand old party who threaten democracy. It is also a threat to democracy when a legitimate election results in the voter selection of a Republican candidate. MSNBC's Ryan Cooper actually makes the following claim. Should Republicans win, they will certainly attempt to end democracy as we know it in their states. The effort will probably look like an updated version of Jim Crow. Of course, this assertion is both false and ignorant, and makes the same mistake so often made by Democrats to claim and think we live in an absolute democracy. For it's only an absolute majority rules democracy that allows laws like those of the Jim Crow era, where they can be successfully enacted and not struck down as they were eventually as violations of our Constitution. It is to avoid true majority rule that our system was set up as it is, as a representative republic. Unlike pure democracy, where majority vote decides all outcomes on leadership and policy, our system provides intricate checks and balances, separation of powers, and protection of key rights of minorities expressly as stated in the U.S. Constitution and its amendments. On a related note, the left views any legal policy intended to verify a voter's identity as itself a threat to democracy. 
To date, no valid argument has been advanced to explain to me why, as long as identification requirements are not overly burdensome for those desiring to vote, proving you are who you say you are, and thus that you are an actual, legal, eligible voter, could in any way threaten democracy. Isn't the greater threat allowing someone to vote who cannot prove identity, and therefore may not be someone who should be voting at all? Of course, the undercurrent of this Democratic Party talking point is that they want sloppy voter rolls and lack of identification, because that's the only way the groups they are trying to bribe to support them can actually vote, such as those who enter our country illegally and those who have had their right to vote revoked due to their own misconduct. Does anyone think it is a good thing to remove any identification requirement, such that Chinese or Russian operatives, illegal aliens, and those currently incarcerated for committing felonies should automatically ever or always be permitted to vote? No questions asked. We don't care who you are, just cast a ballot. In a world of rampant identity theft, you would think both parties and all Americans would want laws in place to make our elections more, not less, secure. And to make sure it's you, the legal voter, who's casting a ballot using your name. Free speech is apparently also a threat to democracy. To be sure, there are crazy people among us, those with unsupported claims and theories. But there are also actual conspiracies and cover-ups. Watergate anyone? And it cannot be a threat to democracy to allow more, not less, speech. As discussed more thoroughly in prior episodes exploring the First Amendment, how can more restrictions on speech and more government control of it not be the real threat to democracy? But instead, we are asked by the left to believe that the risk that speech may include what some self-appointed truth czar deems misinformation or disinformation is the real threat, not the attempt to shut down, monitor, and control speech. From ancient Greece to our founders, I would wager that the threat to democracy in this instance is actually those who seek to censor and not those who seek to allow more speech. And then there is the United States Supreme Court. For many progressives and even some more mainstream liberals today, if the court makes decisions with which they disagree, particularly on sacred issues such as abortion, there could be no bigger threat to democracy. Of course, this claim overlooks the constitutional place that court has in our system, and that the court is intentionally set up, in some sense, as anti-democratic. A co-equal branch with our elected officials in Congress and the White House is to act not on the passions and polls that control those politicians, but on the rule of law. It is this body that is best structured and remains so to protect us from ourselves and to protect the minority from true majority rule that would run counter to the fundamental rights set out in the Constitution. The real reason that mainstream media outlets run headlines like why the Supreme Court is one of the biggest threats to American democracy, or the Supreme Court's biggest case this term threatens American democracy in connection with the redistricting case of Moore versus Harper, or how Supreme Court radicalism could threaten democracy itself. Those headlines are to confuse readers about the court's actual role and to confuse adherence to legal text with some anti-democratic personal agenda of the justices. This popular misunderstanding of the role of our courts, particularly the Supreme Court, and the different judicial philosophies of our justices may itself be one of the biggest threats to our system, as it has allowed us as a society to look to this non-democratic institution for what should be legislative policy decisions. When it comes to abortion, for example, how is allowing each state and its legislature, governor, and voters to decide the issue less democratic than handing down a dictate on the matter upon which five of nine unelected justices can agree? 
According to some left-leaning publications, both the Electoral College and the bicameral legislature are threats to democracy as well. Again, civics classes in public education have clearly failed us. Yes, these are not necessarily absolute democratic creations, because the United States is not an absolute democracy. But what these parts of our system are, are ways to ensure minority protection and representation, something the left claims to champion, but only if the minority is one it has selected as a favored type or group. When it comes to affirmative action, for example, freedom and democracy and merit do not reign. There must be preferences to protect minorities, but only some, some minorities, African Americans but not Asian Americans most notably. Just as the Electoral College gives a voice to the states, not directly to the people, and does so to protect smaller states against the bullying of larger states, so too claim outlets such as Vox does the Senate violate this horrible um, anti-democratic uh, trend in our nation, albeit it's existed since the beginning. You see, because the left believes it has won a majority of the popular vote in many of the races it found hardest to accept the results in, it simply wants, for some things, a pure and straightforward majority popular vote. But what happens when that vote, as is also cautioned by the left, is controlled by Republican voters and leads to policies disfavored by the left? Well, then it all of a sudden becomes anti-democratic. You see, the hypocrisy is the only consistency on the left. Whatever it dislikes is, in fact, a threat to democracy. Of course, it's not just our systems or Republican policies or Republicans as a group that pose a threat to democracy, according to the Democrats. If you peruse recent news stories, we have enemies among us, and they include some notable people, including Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis, Elon Musk, parents who question the actions and curriculum set by school boards, Republican poll watchers, Ron Johnson, Tudor Dixon, Mehmet Orr, Oz, and of course, Donald Trump and more. What the left is really saying is that our republic itself is a threat to its kind of democracy. This conclusion should come as no surprise, as the further the left has worked to undermine our entire system, the more clear it becomes that it is not democracy they believe is threatened, nor, nor that they do they care about it, but their own stranglehold on some parts of our republic. To be fair, the right has also used the phrase threat to democracy, often to oppose the left's more radical agenda items. Higher taxes, suppression of speech, identity politics are all things the right focuses on as threats to our freedoms and our system. Other issues you may hear referenced as threats to our society from the right, uh, those claims from the right, and by implication, democratic principles of self-governance and liberty relate to political targeting by the IRS and the DOJ under democratic leaders, and the usurpation by the federal government of more power than it has been granted in the Constitution the move to centralize power. The right, however, is making fewer assertions that democracy itself is threatened by individual officials or beliefs. Are any of these things actually threatening democracy? To evaluate that question, it's important to have some common definition of democracy and also to consider events and actions occurring worldwide to see what kinds of things actually may be a threat to our self-governance and our liberty, for it is those things we need to protect, not some arbitrary and uh, idealism version of absolute democracy. Just as our educational system has failed many on basic civics lessons, it has also failed to teach us that words have meaning, and that when using a particular word, you should be sure you understand that meaning. 
Of course, in a day where we are now being told there are dozens or more different pronouns, that there are more than two genders, and that a system that has more prosperity for minorities than any other is systemically racist and controlled by white supremacists, it's not shocking that we're also being asked to take words and phrases not to be defined by some societally accepted meaning, but to mean whatever the user wants it to mean. I suppose anything could be a threat to democracy if we don't have a common understanding of what democracy is. The word democracy comes from the Greek word demokratia. The words evolution came from combining the words for people, demos, and rule, kratos. In its simplest, a democracy is where the people rule. In the early years of democracy in human civilization, it was practiced in relatively small areas, towns and cities like Athens, where direct democracy was feasible. When it comes to larger societies, direct democracy is not practical, and representative democracy evolved. Concepts of democracy have changed through time and in different parts of the world. But if it is our media and our politicians now claiming there is some existential threat to democracy, isn't it reasonable to interpret that to mean there is a perceived threat to our system of democracy, not to direct or absolute democracy, which is not part of our federal government? Our founders had a knowledge of history, particularly the history of Western civilization. That knowledge led to the intentional decision to create a republic. The choice to create a republic was to make the system less vulnerable to tyranny than a pure democracy would be. It does so by not allowing the majority to impose its will rashly and by creating a voice for the minority. James Madison detailed the decision to create a republic when he wrote these words. It is impossible to read the history of the petty republics of Greece and Italy without feeling sensations of horror and disgust at the distractions with which they were continually, continually agitated, and at the rapid succession of revolutions by which they were kept in a state of perpetual vibration between the extremes of tyranny and anarchy. If they exhibit occasional calms, these only serve as short-lived contrasts to the furious storms that are to succeed. If now and then intervals of felicity open to view, we behold them with a mixture of regret, arising from the reflection that the pleasing scenes before us are soon to be overwhelmed by the tempestuous waves of sedition and party rage. If momentary rays of glory break forth from the gloom, while they dazzle us with a transient and fleeting brilliancy, they are at the same time, they at the same time admonish us to lament that the vices of government should pervert the direction and tarnish the luster of those bright talents and exalted endowments for which the favored soils that produce them have been so justly celebrated. He went on to explain, The genius of Republican liberty seems to demand on one side not only that all power should be derived from the people, but that those entrusted with it should be kept in dependence on the people by a short duration of their appointments, and that even during this short period the trust should be placed not in a few, but a number of hands. Mike Lee, a current senator from Utah and an incredibly distinguished constitutional scholar, tried to explain the problem recently with the use of the term democracy when discussing current events and issues when he tweeted the following simple statements. Democracy isn't the objective. Liberty, peace, and prosperity are. We want the human condition to flourish. Rank democracy can thwart that. We're not a democracy. In an article published online by The New Yorker on October 15, 2020, entitled Why the Right Keeps Saying that the United States Isn't a Democracy, 
the author Sue Halpern appears to take issue with Senator Lee's claims and tries to characterize them as perhaps accurate as to the founder's intent, but not in explaining today's America, which has evolved. She even claims that the senator's reminder that we are not a democracy to be some kind of nod to the belief that the right to vote should be limited, suggesting Mike Lee would seek to revert to a system where women and minorities could not vote. Of course, that's not at all what he said. She bases this critique, at least in part, on the fact that it took constitutional amendments to add voting rights for women and minorities. In other words, since our founders were not perfect, they must have also erred in straying from true, dem- true democracy. And that in doing so, they have given the right a basis on which to try to view voting itself as a threat. Of course, no one on the right is seeking to limit voting rights, only to ensure that those who vote are legally the ones who should be doing so, and that vote counting is done not in secrecy, with no method of verification. The other includes this admission, and meaning that the other reason or way that she is admitting that she doesn't understand our democracy and doesn't actually like the republic that was created is this excerpt from that same article. The 2016 election was a rude reminder that we aren't a popular democracy. Donald Trump's victory was an electoral college math trick. But in fact, we aren't a direct democracy, either where we all show up in the public square to hash things out. After a brief summary of Plato's distrust of direct democracy, she further acknowledges, quote, The framers, including Madison, who were similarly to Plato suspicious of the rabble, gifted us instead with representative democracy, which puts the people one degree of separation from the halls of power. Going further, Halpern viewed the Supreme Court's decision in the Citizens United case related to campaign contributions to be proof that the framers' intended system has already been altered by allowing more power to be taken from the people. Of course, whether one agrees or disagrees with corporate giving in elections and the Citizen United decision, this is yet another area where the left insists on viewing corporations as some sort of entity of artificial intelligence and operation with self-produced wealth that doesn't come from people, and not merely a group of actual people joined together to support the same venture. In other words, Democrats are for the people until the people come together and form a corporation. They don't like the way our world has evolved, though it is, in fact, still the representative republic that our founders intended. If the right's accurate claims that we are not a democracy are the threat to democracy itself, I guess it makes sense that the left also views any attempt to investigate or challenge election procedures or results as yet another threat. But how do we ensure accurate elections and election results if we are to be suppressed from asking questions when things don't appear right? Isn't it entirely democratic, and more importantly how a system based on the rule of law works, to have enacted laws that allow just these kinds of investigations and challenges? To be sure, there are real threats to democracy, and many of them come not from the right, but from the left and others that the left seems completely willing to ignore, as there are threats from outside our borders, and these threats are not just to our nation, but to freedom around the globe. Real threats to our republic certainly do exist. How imminent these threats are is hard to calculate. In a 2020 Wall Street Journal op-ed, then-Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe informed readers, The intelligence is clear. Beijing intends to dominate the U.S. and the rest of the planet economically, militarily, and technologically. He went on to characterize China as, quote, the greatest threat to America today and the greatest threat to democracy and freedom worldwide since World War II, end quote. 
China's place as a threat to America has only grown since that opinion piece. The FBI website today describes the threat this way. The counterintelligence and economic espionage efforts emanating from the government of China and the Chinese Communist Party are a grave threat to the economic well-being and democratic values of the United States. To be clear, the adversary is not the Chinese people or people of Chinese descent or heritage. The threat comes from the programs and policies pursued by an authoritarian government. The Chinese government is employing tactics that seek to influence lawmakers and public opinion to achieve policies that are more favorable to China. At the same time, the Chinese government is seeking to become the world's greatest superpower through predatory lending and business practices, systemic theft of intellectual property, and brazen cyber intrusions. And this list of horribles publicly posted on the government website goes on, yet nowhere in the speeches of Democratic lawmakers or, or candidates do we hear repeated calls to fear the threat of China to democracy or our republic. Even the Biden administration, at least in the ranks of those focusing on defense policy in the Pentagon, has some understanding that China poses a major threat to the nation, and a threat to the nation is a threat to freedom. And isn't it freedom, and not popular or true democracy, that should be most protected? And what about Russia? It may be that most career intelligence and defense officials view China as the larger threat, but Russia's actions in Ukraine and the veiled threats to use nuclear weapons are certainly a threat to stability in that part of the world and exposes us all to potentially irrational war with dire consequences. These two large nations are certainly threats to democracy. Their leaders regularly engage in violent human rights offenses to silence opposition and to end any movement by the citizens to move away from communism and toward self-governance. As the influence of these nations and those like them expand, democracy, in both its truest sense and in its many iterations around the world, is reduced. And it's not just other nations that are real threats to democracy. Money does rule the world. For it is money that allows nations to provide for their own defense and national security and to provide necessary programs for citizens. But today's government, often via decisions involving members of both parties, appears set on continuing to spend money the United States simply does not have, often borrowing it from those who would be happy to see us fall and requiring draconian tax measures to try either to take in more revenue or at least skew accounting numbers to underreport the severity of our nation's overspending. This kind of irresponsible fiscal policy is stealing from our children and grandchildren in such a way that their generations may find themselves in default on financial obligations, a situation that could crumble the nation's economy and with it the power it has to continue to protect freedom here and abroad. In my opinion, the entire progressive agenda from climate change to transgenderism to tax policy to foreign relations and identity politics, is a threat to the United States our founders created. But perhaps no threat poses a more immediate risk of decline than the repeated attempts to censor information. It is true that there is a lot of inaccurate information floating around in cyberspace, but the cure to that false information is more information. Today's left is taking the other approach and seeking to remove from social media platforms, kill stories of major media outlets, and otherwise remove from the public discourse any news story with which it disagrees, seeking to fashion its own false narrative in order to keep citizens from full information. And that is perhaps the very kind of tyranny a republic is set up to ward against, and why we are not, and never have been, a direct or pure democracy. If by threat to democracy what the left really means is a threat to its tyrannical push for total control of systems, then yes. 
Republicans hopefully are a threat to that kind of democracy, but neither Republican officials as a group or voters are a threat to this republic. To get back to the one thing that the Democrats appear to believe is a bigger threat than any other, let's discuss the so-called election deniers. Why are what are called election deniers viewed as such a threat? It's time that we view the challenging of elections, including but not limited to the public unrest that resulted in January 6th, as a part of self-governance and voting itself. The minority of those present who chose to violate our laws during that protest are and should be held accountable, though the rage and vigor with which they are being prosecuted certainly appears politically motivated. But the majority of those present that day were doing what our republic encourages, letting their elected officials know that they did not trust the outcome of that election. What good is voting and protecting the right to vote if the citizens who vote do not trust the results? Shouldn't the response to these kinds of voter concerns be to take actions to better secure future elections and to make vote counting more transparent and controlled and not to characterize those with questions as themselves a threat? Whether the claims and beliefs about the 2020 election are rational is not really the issue here. Our system seeks transparency, aside from private individual ballots, of course, and we want that transparency in how our elections are run. In each state, a method for challenging elections one believes were not fairly and properly conducted exists. It is written into law. It cannot then be a threat to democracy to use these election challenge laws to challenge elections, as President Trump did. Challenging elections results through the court cases, allegations and recounts is not a threat to democracy, but a part of it. I cannot count the number of times I have heard or read news stories where some member of the media claims as proof that Donald Trump or Republican voters are a threat to, the, to, to democracy by pointing to the very fact that lawsuits were filed to challenge the results. Those lawsuits were lost, and as far as I know, President Biden was in fact sworn in as president. But what happened when those lawsuits were lost was not January 6th. January 6th was a public that distrusted these results. Once all legal options were exhausted, the people, deemed by those in charge of deeming such, took office. Despite some private citizens undoubtedly acting criminally, on January 6th, wasn't the election still certified on that date? No one should have enjoyed watching things unfold at the Capitol on that day, but that single-day event is not a threat to democracy or our republic. And if it was a threat at the time, the threat was quickly quashed and our republic stood. That the election is still questioned does not pose a further threat. It just means more work is needed to gain the trust of all voters in the next election. Where the Democrats see voter ID, cleaning up voter rolls, and redistricting after each census, a process that has perhaps become too political by both parties, as threats to democracy, aren't these the very kind of things that should be done to convince voters that future elections do not involve harvested ballots, dead voters, or falsified ballots? What is the left afraid of if our elections have more checks to ensure all voters are legal, that records are sufficient to challenge election results or procedures, and that recounts can be efficiently and accurately done? It appears that rather than provide greater election trust and reliability, the left would prefer to make half the nation its enemy and declare threats to democracy that simply do not exist in order to have some basis upon which to claim themselves that their future losses are not true representations of voter sentiment. If anyone doubts that today's claims that doubting election results is itself somehow undemocratic or a threat to our nation, you need only look to what happens when Democrat candidates make the same kinds of claims after they suffer unexpected losses. 
Years after her defeat in the 2016 presidential election, Hillary Clinton still claims the election, quote, was not on the level. And we still don't know what really happened. She went further, saying, There's just a lot that I think will be revealed. History will discover. But you don't win by three million votes and have all this other shenanigans and stuff going on and not come away with an idea like, whoa, something's not right here. Similarly, Stacey Abrams has yet to actually accept her loss in the Georgia governor's race in 2018. In 2019, she was still making statements like this one. I'm here to tell you a secret that makes Brett Bart and Tucker Carlson go crazy. We won. And she continued to recognize that Brian Kemp was governor. She was not. But only because, according to her, the election was rigged by various voter suppression activities. Does Abrams provide any proof of such voter suppression? Did she avail herself of Georgia's election contest laws to challenge the results or any actions by her opponent? No. Does that make her less of a threat to democracy than Donald Trump? An argument could be made that Trump's continuing appeal to voters and his continued claims he was robbed of the 2020 election could influence otherwise mentally unstable individuals to take crazy actions. But it is not less democratic to approach a lost election than to not challenge the results, a la Clinton and Abrams, and yet continue to make statements to their supporters to suggest that they too believe they were robbed of rightful victories. The point here is that we are a system of laws. To use those laws to challenge or contest an election is not a threat to democracy, or in our case, our republic. To use your right to free speech to continue to voice your concerns and beliefs about peculiarities in prior elections is not a threat to democracy or to our republic. Indeed, allowing this kind of open challenge and discussion about our election procedures may very well move us toward more trusted elections. If only our elected officials understood that opportunity they now have at all levels of government to try and reestablish that trust. As always, thank you for listening. We are a republic. Our nation seeks open debate and fair elections to allow us, as voters, to choose those we most trust, though the choices are not always good ones, to represent our interests in the various halls of our governmental bodies. We are not a direct democracy, and should not strive to be, despite the push that direction by progressives, as a direct democracy is the fastest path from where we currently are to tyranny. As Alexis de Tocqueville warned, democracy encourages a taste for physical gratification. This taste, if it becomes excessive, soon disposes men to believe that all is matter only, and materialism, in its turn, hurries them on with mad impatience to these same delights, such as the fatal circle within which democratic nations are driven round. It were well that they just see the danger and hold back. If we simply vote directly for what we want, without a Republican structure and the rights of all, including minorities of all kinds, including those in the minority of public opinion, protected by our written constitution and laws, it would not be long before we would find ourselves with little true liberty. It is not speech or election challenges that threaten us. It is a failure to understand and respect the very special systems our, our framers established, and a failure to acknowledge the cultural damage the left is doing when it continues to encourage our younger generations to succumb to the very dangers de Tocqueville warned of, those of immediate and physical gratification, without care or concern for others or society as a whole. That is the end result of true democracy. Next episode, I will discuss the results of next week's midterm elections. Hopefully, we will have final results in a timely fashion. So bear with me if the episode may be released later in the week than normal, if some races are simply too close to call. 
but I do hope the results are clear and decisive, early enough to be able to share my thoughts with you on a regularly released Thursday 9 a.m. episode. It certainly will be an interesting election night full of incredibly important voter decisions for the future direction of our local, state, and national community. Until then, stay free, be brave, search for truth, defend our Constitution, and God bless America. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can share the podcast with just one other person, we can continue to further the entire purpose for it, to encourage real discourse in society, open discussion, and honest discussion of the issues we are facing. If you wish to help this podcast continue, you can contribute to support it by going to anchor.fm backslash solace-veritas and clicking the support button. The Defending American Exceptionalism podcast is written and produced by Solace Veritas. Original music by Canticum Octar. Special thanks to Morales Susceptor. Copyright 2022.